Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gym that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. Welcome to another episode of Vision for the Valley podcast. My name is Joe. I serve as the host of the podcast, and I'm so excited today to have my good friend, uh, Jeff Christofferson, joining us. And the reason we're doing this podcast a little different with people outside the Lehigh Valley is a couple of different reasons. One is in light of COVID-19 and what's going on, I wanted to hear perspectives outside of the Valley. Two, these individuals have influenced and inspired my personal vision for the Valley. And three, I have a lot of questions about life and leadership, and I thought it'd be helpful for you to hear these conversations as it may benefit you and, and help your own growth and development as a leader. And so I want to welcome Jeff. Jeff, we're glad to have you here on the Vision for the Valley podcast. Well, it's great to be with you, Joe. Uh, Jeff's coming from Ontario, Canada. And Jeff, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us um, uh, what you're involved in, your, your books and, and the things that you, you yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a church planter by heart. So I've planted three churches. Um, the last one multiplied a fair bit. I've led church planning for uh, for Canada here, and then I moved to um, Atlanta, and I uh, started the Send Network, so that's the SBC's church planting idea, and um, started the Send Institute, which is an interdenominational church planting think tank, so Ed Stetzer and I, I continue to work, lead that with Ed. Um, I'm... Um, um, Executive Director of Church Planning Canada, which is all denominations in Canada that work together in planting churches. And, um, and I'm a pastor, and I co-vocationally pastoring through an APES model that we'll talk about uh, the sanctuary, a church that I originally started a long time ago, uh, 20 years ago, actually. And, um, and uh, yeah, so I've written a number of books, mostly related on the kingdom of God and the church and how they work together. Yeah, so he's written, and I'll, I'll brag on you, you've written uh, The Kingdom Matrix. Uh, you've also uh, written uh, Kingdom First, and then your latest book. I don't want to butcher the title, so you say the title. So I, I think It's called Venal Dogmata. It's Latin, two words. Venal means um, um, up for sale, open for corruption. And uh, dogmata is plural of dogma, so basically a system of beliefs that are up for sale, open for corruption. So that's that's it's a narrative it's a it's it's actually an ancillary book of of a bigger book that I, i'm in the process of writing for uh bnh academic a seminary textbook on um, north american missiology and why we're not thriving and adjustments we probably should make that's awesome man yeah. I, can't, I cannot wait to to read the book and that's available wherever people want to it's on amazon yeah. if you want if you want the um the print version, it's on Amazon. If you want the Kindle version, it's on exponential.org. Okay. Yeah. And, and so I wanted to ask you a quick question about what you said, Jeff, um, about the executive director part of Canada with interdenominational church mm -hmm. planning. Can you explain to me a little bit of how that came about and, and how that has worked out over the years. Just, I'm more curious. Um, well, that, I mean, that was just something that um, more recently uh, they approached me. It's a, it's Church Plan Canada is a collection of a little over 40 different denominations that are cooperating together in church to church plant in Canada. 
And so I, I said, uh, if I did it, I would continue my priority, my life priorities through this. And that'd be kind of the three big rocks that I would uh, push on to influence churches and denominations. First would be a different kind of church. And, um, and in that, I'm talking about churches that don't see themselves as the goal, but the kingdom of the, as the goal and themselves giving themselves away to that goal. And so they, so it's uh, just pushing on a, what we're trying to get at, a discipling movement, disciple-making movement that discovers and develops and deploys church planting teams from within. And so pastors, leaders look at their pews and see the raw material for churches, for the next churches to come. So a different kind of church and then a different kind of church planter. And in that, I'm speaking about uh, growing a, a new imagination for where I came up with a word in 2015 called co-vocational because we had no word to describe um, um, a person who felt called as a nurse or a teacher or an accountant ever since they were a small child. And yet we, we kind of assigned them to the sort of wash basin of life, the trash heap, you are secular, you're not sacred, we are sacred. And, um, and so trying to capture that uh, a person can be called into a profession that is not paid for by the church, but can still be called to church ministry and, um, and church leadership. And so, so um, co is Latin, it means with. And um, by, we were more familiar with bivocation, and that means that's kind of like two, and it, the inference is, is division, bifurcate, bisect. And so I have um, a job. I don't really want my job, but I got to keep this job so I can pay, get paid to do this church work. But if the church ever grew enough, I, then I'd get rid of my job, and I'd just do that. I'm trying to give a new imagination that uh, we could see this, this limitless idea of this this infinitely reproducible idea of churches gathering or, or um, discovering and training church planning leaders in teams where everybody's paid for nobody's worried about health insurance and um and they're intimately connected deep into their community and um and so so a different kind of church different kind of church planter and then the third thing is a different level of gospel collaboration and um, and in that, trying to help churches see that they don't look at their city to say, how do we grow my church? But they look at their city and say, how is Jesus needed in this city? And together, churches link arms. And and it's interesting, Joe, I'm kind of going on a long monologue here, but it's interesting. Oh, if, oh, I want, this is why I'm interviewing you. This is the kind of stuff I want to hear. <laughs> Go ahead. If you, if you look at every city in North America um, and you measure church attendance over the last 10 years, is it more now than it was 10 years ago? In almost every city, it is the same or usually much lower. And um, in fact, now, now we even use different metrics of how we qualify what is a regular attender. Now most use once a month. Once a month now gets you in as a regular attender in most people's metrics. And um, um, the only city that has actually broken that, that trajectory is Buffalo. Buffalo, New York. And, um, and what happened there is one particular pastor um, went on an apology tour. <laughs> Pastors, the largest church in the city, went on an apology tour and said, listen, we did lots of stuff that um, probably we shouldn't have done. We've grown on, on the expense of you. And, um, and to have a mega church, it requires an ecosystem of smaller churches to feed it. And we took full advantage of that. 
and um and I just want to apologize, um, repent, and and let you hear that we won't do those tricks anymore. And um, and the church, churches it, it, that created this fostered this level of trust in the city amongst the pastors. They began to say, "What can we do together?" And they said, "Well, what's the most important thing to do together?" And that is get the gospel out to every man, woman, boy, and girl. And so they they made this commitment to do that. So they said they're going to do two things. Um, um, strengthen existing churches and plant new churches. Mm. And so they they brought out their map and said, let's plant a church here. And someone said, well, Brother Bob's there. He's a good guy, but the city is, the, the area is kind of tough and he's, his church isn't doing very well. Well, let's go see what Brother Bob needs. So some churches would go and see Brother Bob and start talking to him and go, man, well, this is what he needs. And they started giving resources and people to Brother Bob's church. And all of a sudden, Brother Bob's church is vibrant and well again. And they said, let's go plant a church here. And they said, well, that's right by my church. Um, I don't think we can do it by ourselves. Anybody want to help? And two or three other churches jumped in on it and they planted that church. And um, at the end of the day, if you look 10 years later, Buffalo, New York is the one outlier and everyone else is flat or declining. Buffalo is 28% higher over 10 wow. years, even wow. though the city of popula- uh, population of Buffalo has decreased. And um, so what's, what's the difference there? I think it's, it's these people saw the kingdom was the goal and the church was the, was the vehicle for the goal. And, and they all sort of lived in this sort of united John 17 answering kind of posture and uh, and it's the difference. So those three things, different kinds of church, different kind of church planter, and different kind of gospel collaboration is what I'm pushing on. Yeah, and I would say too, as I hear that, not only is it inspiring, uh, but also think in light of where we are with COVID-19 and the virus, I think it's even more essential than ever. Yeah, uh, yeah, because you're so local. Like we, we, uh, we are, we've never been more local than we are right now. And so it's like, I can't really go very far, but I, I'm, I'm l- learning my neighborhood, my streets, and I'm finding out six houses down, there's another Christ follower who goes to a different church. And, uh, and so me and this Christ follower are going, you know, how do we reach these neighbors? And we start praying together and planning together. And, you know, and, uh, and all of a sudden, it really is a, is a pretty picture. Well, that's incredible. That's incredible, yeah. Jeff. So I wanted to ask you your, your thoughts, you know, in, in light of what's going on with COVID-19, um, how would you, in, you know, encourage us to lead in light of the current reality of coronavirus, but also post-coronavirus? And I know that that post is, uh, this is, I'm asking you to project a bit. So I, I, there's a lot of uh, freedom and grace in what you're going to say. Yeah. But I, I, I'm asking for your insights just from what you're seeing, because, you know, I, I don't think even with the numbers you just revealed about decline or stagnant, you know, um, I, I think more than ever, um, we have an opportunity that is coming in the form of an obstacle. Uh, but I wanted to get your, your take on, on, again, how would you encourage us to lead in light of the coronavirus currently, what's going on, and then post-coronavirus? Such a good, so first of all, we have to make some assumptions that are real. We don't have to uh, project, they're actually here now that we aren't reacting to. Number one is we are in a, uh, by and large, a state where the more urban you are, um, the, the, le- the less Christian memory is actually there. And so most of our, our, our if, I, if you had a pie chart, 
and you said what percentage of that pie in our community is um, predisposed to come to an evangelical church. Um, you know, most communities and there in Pennsylvania, you're probably looking at 5% tops, probably something like that. And, and, um, and so you're probably saying, all right, so it's, it's a really little low, but you look at the strategies of most of the churches and their, their strategies really are, how do I get market share of the predisposed? How do I get our, our share of the 5%? And, um, and so it, so it, it, it requires memory. It requires, our market share requires Christian memory. And so everything that we do kind of appeals to that. Even if it's just like a, a de-church person from a, a half a generation, we're still going to go for that. But by and large, the great, you know, Jesus' parable of the lost sheep. There's got 100 sheep. One of them's lost. 99 are safe. Jesus says any good shepherd is going to leave the 99 and go on a rescue mission for the one. Well, here we have 100 sheep. Five of them are safe. 95 of them are lost. And we're, we're doing everything just to take care of the five. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we, we miss the big picture of what, think what Christ has asked us for. So with the, re, with the reality of um, the tools that we have in our toolkit, usually are our worship service. That's what we think about. And, um, and we say, okay, church is kind of equal to a worship service with some other stuff. And, um, and, and 95% of, of Pennsylvania ain't coming to your worship service and won't. And so if that's our total imagination of church, um, I, now I, <laughs> I think God has given us, you see, when I wrote this book, Venal Dogmata. Um, it's it, the subtitle is a parable of the future church, and um, and the the purpose of me of writing it was, I, I predicted a, a calamity, you know, in in a narrative fiction form, and um, but the calamity wasn't COVID nineteen. It was a different calamity, which I think is still accurate and is coming. The one I picked was the evangelical um, alliance with political with the political world the enmeshment that happens jesus said if you live by the sword you're going to die by the sword and uh, like peter somehow was going to use human might to to advance jesus's cause and he pulls out his sword and um and jesus says you know put that thing away you know if you live by the sword you're going to die by the sword well we as evangelicals have been living by the political sword and 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 we've had a little bit of a reprieve but when the backlash comes, it's going to be swift. It's going to be fierce and it's going to be utterly complete because people are so angry at us of how, of how we have behaved. And so, um, so that was the context that I used. What was the church now is the church. Actually it's a Philly church that I use is um, it gets its first property tax bill. It wasn't getting, they, they had to prove they were charitable and to, to, in order to, to get sort of have the construct of, of a charity, in other words, not having to pay property tax for your church building. And they couldn't prove it. They, most of their dollars went towards membership services, not towards, you know, a, the, it's the reason to function that, of a charity that mm-hmm. is the community. So they got a $96,000 church uh, property tax bill and they were out of business. And, uh, and out of that, um, out of that reality, they turned into a global movement, and um, and and it just, I just took at look at shifts that had to happen 
once they lost everything they thought was important, then they got to concentrate on something that really was important and, um, and they, they were set for movement. And so, yeah, so this COVID-19 thing was a different thing. <laughs> the timing of this book being released during a pandemic, I think is interesting, <laughs> but, um, is a, uh, is a, I think, uh, God has given us a little picture and I'm watching on Facebook of pastors talking to their congregations. And, and basically, I'm hearing over and over and over, we're going to get through this and we're going to get back to normal. And I'm just pleading, no, 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 no. God has given you a gift here. And um, seize it. Take advantage of it. And, uh, but we'll see. No, I think that that's part of even what I, I've taken from this time. I was re- I've been reading through Acts again. Hmm. Um, that's dangerous. Yeah, it is dangerous. And I'm, I'm in the part where persecution breaks out intensely. Stephen's just stoned. And um, after he's stoned and his garments are laid before the feet of Saul, it's, you know, the very next thing is they, they um, just disperse uh, to outside of Jerusalem. And as they go, it says they share the gospel as they go. And it talks about Philip, you know, and I'm just yeah. getting to that part of, of Philip. Um, and he's starting to do that. And I, and I think even the desire to get back to normal, I understand to the degree of creating like kind of rhythms or whatever, but if normal's hindering what we were actually intended for all along, shouldn't we stop for a moment and give pause to, hey, what do we need to repent of? What's God trying to, I've been asking myself this question in our church too. This time, you know, it's not to make light of pain, but this time actually could be a vehicle where God prunes and purges and purifies so that we could be on the purposes that Jesus has for us in his church. You know, I got to, I agree with you totally. Um, I have a Russian theologian friend who uh, named Yuri Supernov. And, um, and Yuri says, you know, if we don't do Acts 1-8, God will do Acts 8-1. That's right. And, uh, and um, I think, I think you just hit the head. You know, there are, we've been taking, in fact, we took over 1500 churches through cohorts of different denominations. And um, during this time to help, help them on a journey that you just discussed, we use four themes that we bring them through. Um, The first one is stabilize. Second one is normalize. Third one is mobilize. Fourth one is futurize. And um, so stabilize is kind of like what everybody, we're, we're out of that season. That was like, how do we get the live stream going? And what do we do with small groups? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and then normalize. So, okay, now we're kind of getting to some rhythms. I think it's going to be a long time, depending where. But I think in Pennsylvania, it might be a little while before they let, you know, 500 people in a room together. And um, we're preparing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm praying about what God's going to do in, in the timetable, but I agree with you. It's yeah. even, even beyond the sure gathering, the amount of kids you have is going to impact drastically mm-hmm. uh, what you're able to do uh, because we have a lot of kids um, in our ministry context. So yeah, keep going. Sorry. So, so you get to this normalized saying, okay, what is this new normal um, that we're facing with and how do we sort of adjust for that and actually be, become effective in the, in the process, the, the, the thing, the one, the one thing that Christ asked his church to do, and that is go make disciples. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we, uh, we get to this mobilized part where we begin to realize, 
shoot, well, if, you know, we, now that we are so exceedingly local, um, the mobilization of our people it really becomes pretty natural. And um, you, we, we've been doing two questions, um, what, what we've been asking, two questions our people every week. How are you doing? And how are your neighbors doing? Mm. And, um, and everything that we do as a church goes to support those two questions and uh, the answers to those two questions. And so, um, and so mobilizing our, our people to a gospel kingdom mission. And then, and then, and then it's the last part is futurize and saying with what we are learning, do we really want to go back to where we were or, because once you sort of taste something here, it's kind of hard to live here again. And, um, and, and God has given a gift that if we've taken advantage of it, of giving our people a taste of what the church could be. And, um, and if they, once they taste it, I know our, our people are going, shoot, do we really want to go back to a, that thing as it's uh, that Sunday morning thing as the thing? And uh, maybe there's a different thing. And um, maybe that Sunday morning thing is once a month instead of once a week, you know, and, and we are way more integrated into our communities and um, so many different ideas. So, yeah. Well, and I, and I think that that's the, the beautiful thing about it is even looking at, so I had a friend, you may know him, Dan Nold. He says, um, you know, you're not only a pastor to a local church, you're a pastor to a local community. And, yeah. and he said the, the thing that he doesn't want to go back to quote unquote normal is the neighborhood movement that has taken place as a result of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. He says it's a neighbor revolution. And it's really these two questions. How are you doing? We do need to ask that, but how is your neighbor doing? Yeah. And uh, you know, I know for me personally, I, I have benefited. We had just made a move. Um, we bought the house that Amy's dad had built in 1975. Mm. Uh, he passed away in 2011 and, her, her mom is uh, living with us hmm. for her um, in this next uh, season of her journey. But as I'm getting to know the neighborhood, because, you know, we moved in November and then we had renovations and then COVID-19, it's like, okay, like, but I'm getting so much time specifically with a neighbor that's right next to us. And hmm. the friendship that has, is happening um, has been such a gift. And I, I told the, the lady, her name's Eileen, I said, your husband, Randy, reminds me of my father-in-law who passed away, his personality. And she goes, that's really kind of you to, to say, um, I, I didn't, we really didn't know him that well. Um, and, and it wasn't because they didn't live next to each other for a long period of time and they weren't friendly. They both were. Um, but the time that this has produced with COVID-19 forces mm-hmm. your rhythms to change. Yeah. And she said, you know, I didn't feel like I, I knew him well, but now we're, we're connecting on all kinds of things. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, letting them into a little bit of my own story uh, and hearing them, them out about what they're feeling with all the COVID-19, checking in on each other, seeing if they need anything, you know, and, and vice versa. And it, man, it's been beautiful because it's allowed me to get to know them. And it helps too, that let my son who's four run in their backyard and, and, and they're all their yard that like, give me permission to do that. And uh, such a gift. So I agree fully with that. And I, I think part of that revolution goes to in the future, you know, being future oriented, you know, uh, I've been thinking a lot about that quote. It says the future belongs to those who create it. Um, and really think about this. Yeah. Um, a lot of us, our, our orientation of church comes from the reformation. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what was common during the 16th century was this, this culture called Christendom. Um, there was this, this Christocentric, or I say that's the wrong way to put it, this Christianized um, uh, common culture where they began to fight about pieces of it. You know, this is right, this is wrong. They had different versions of it. But what was the baseline was Christendom. Um, we, and so we have taken a, a theology, a systematic theology that we've sort of brought out of that and, and, our, and brought to our day that we're in right now. And, um, and it's answering the questions that they were answering, asking and answering in the 16th century in, in the culture of Christendom. Those are not the questions anyone is asking right now. The questions that they're asking are far more closely related to the first century and um, where there was no Christian baseline, where it was this um, pluralistic, syncretistic kind of, kind of uh, world that they're in. And so, and so uh, when, you, when you think about the, the Reformation, it, it reformed our theology there really was no missiology in it at all, and um, and it had a uh, it was a it was a, a tweaking of our ecclesiology. Um, the 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 fact of that we're in right now is the, is so much different. It's a different world, and um, the questions that your neighbors are asking are not the questions that your what you learned in seminary in your systematic theology class to answer because they don't necessarily answer those questions, and. Um, so it really is. We're really going back to the Book of Acts in so many ways, as you as you just self described. And um, and I think the closer we we sort of, if you can imagine Jesus with his disciples, uh, we, 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 when I was I remember when I was with you in your in your church. How many years ago was that? A long oh, time. Ago. Yeah, twenty fourteen. Yeah, a long time ago, and um, six years ago. <laughs> and um, can you imagine Jesus? after the resurrection, gathering his disciples together, spending 40 days with them and saying, okay, guys, I'm going to launch you on this mission to go start worship services everywhere. (laughs) It's laughable, isn't it? (laughs) But but that's all we know. That's what we do. And, um, and and we're, we're doing that to an audience that drives by church after church, after church, after church, and doesn't even tweak on them. Like, I wonder if what goes on in there. You mean you drive by the Lions Club or the Elks Hall and you'd never think about what, you know, what goes on in there, you know, never. And uh, you're never curious, like, maybe I should go sometime. Maybe it'll be good for my kids. You're never asking those questions and they're not either. And, um, and so this, this is, a, is, is a, a way more local man-on-man, flesh-on-flesh ground game that uh that we we have to engage in we've been avoiding it for so long and um i think yeah i think that's right on i would say too like even as you think about those two words missiology uh and uh, ecclesiology can you just uh define that for people who don't exactly know what that means i know what you mean by that but i I just in case there are all kinds of people listening to this yeah so if if you did a vent chart like the three intersecting circles yeah. Um, and we had three, and we labeled them three different things. So we go um, ecclesiology, Christology, missiology in those three areas. Um, ecclesiology is kind of basically church. 
Miss yeah. um, uh, Christology is sort of the centrality of Christ in our message. And, um, and then missiology is missional engagement. So I would probably rephrase those in layman's terms to ecclesiology would be biblical community. Um, Christology would be kingdom thinking and, um, and missiology would be missional engagement. Normally how we start, we're trained to start, we start with, with ecclesiology. So we have this construct of what church is. That's where we start. And then we go to Christology second and, and we get a, a, a dwarf stunted small little Jesus that fits into our Sunday morning idea of ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we we go from there into missional engagement, but we got nothing to nothing that anybody wants, and uh, and so we're we're striking out left right because all we really can do is invite them to church or invite them to something our church does, and um, and so perhaps a better way is to start with Christology and get a full kingdom picture of what Christ has asked. And I describe the kingdom of God as what things look like when Jesus gets his way. Um, and so that covers everything. And so he, Christ, as, as preeminent over all things, including how I relate to my neighbor, how I, how I work, you know, at, at my job, every area of my life, Christ preeminent. And then I go from there. And, and, base, and the cool thing about this is when, when Jesus gets his way, every, things work. Relationships work. You know, things work. And, um, and so we start with that kingdom thinking thing. And then we go into missional engagement. And we go, you know, all of a sudden, 1 Peter 3.15 is a reality. People have a can opener and they're trying to open you up and find out what is this hope that you have in you? Because it is so different than I see everywhere else in the world. And, and, and so missional engagement is like, wow, you, there's something very on, honest and attractive about you. And then we finally end up in biblical community last. And it, that biblical community might look way different than the ecclesiology that we start out in our, in our structure. So when I talk to church planters, often, you know, they have their idea of what this church is going to look like that they're going to start. And it's somebody that they admired or, you know, some, some experience that they've had, they want to reproduce. And, um, and you're starting in the wrong place at the very beginning and you're never going to get to uh, effective missional engagement at that point. I don't think. Well, I think that's right on too. Cause I do think even for me, the, the thing I've been watching in the book of Acts um, as I've been reading it, and I know we, we alluded to this a little bit, is how much their Christology, it impacted so much of their missional engagement, which led to biblical community. And even as they gathered, like the 120, right, they waited for what? The Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, they went out, right? And you start seeing this, this move take place. But as I was watching that, I was watching even how much they quoted both Jesus and, and the apostles, whoever was speaking, Stephen, who is a deacon, you know, how much they quoted scripture. And, and to me, that says, wait a minute, they, they had such a well-formed Christology. And, and they were uh, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You hear that right. over and over and over. And um, I mean, how often do we hear that nowadays? Yeah, and it's, yeah. It's, so, it's so interesting because as you watch that play out even, I, I, man, I, I think that's true of church planners and, and those in the church as well. But if we're going to see a move of God that we join in, right, where we are, our church is a means to the end. It's not the means, you know. It's and not the, the end itself. Right, right. Like mm-hmm. it's about the kingdom. Well, we have to have a big view of Jesus. And we get a big view of Jesus when I – when I really hear him say in John 10, like, 
I'm here for those who are of my, of my sheepfold, but I'm also looking for those who are not yet here. Like it's both and, but we don't want to, we tend to hold on to one part of that and not the other part. And I think what we, we do is like you said, a stunted missional engagement, man, that is just so good, dude. <laughs> that, is, that is really good. And which leads me to even as I was reading through Acts and, and other passages, one of the things that kind of has stood out to me, and I, I really wanted you to speak into this as well. I noticed, I noticed, and it, it shouldn't shock you <laughs> and it won't shock you, but I noticed how many people were involved in these church movements. <laughs> People outside of the 12, meaning the, the 12 apostles, people who, you know, they, they just have one or two sentences about them, but they were intricately involved in the move of, of God's kingdom advancement and seeing the church established, not in the sense of a worship service, but rather of the planting of the gospel, right? The message of the good news is going out and the kingdom is rising up. And, and as I was thinking about that, I was also reading through what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesians and in the church in Ephesus, he, he talks about, hey, listen, if we're going to really be brought up and I'm, I'm going to summarize this, I would encourage you to read this on your own. We're not going to read it right now, but he summarizes, or I'm going to summarize what he says. He says, hey, listen, there are these, these five specific vocational calls that, you know, this is using Alan Hirsch's language here of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. And as those are established, and it's not, it's not one of those is established. It's that all five of those, the way he, you know, describes it. Some of them, you know, you know, you have some who are, are, are these, this, this, that, but it's really the idea of like, if, and I'm a big basketball fan and I love watching the last dance with the, about the Chicago Bulls. Uh, and so really about the idea of like a team, there's a starting five here. And, and there are many people who have different calls within that, but it says, as those are established, then there's going to be the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And then uh, people won't be uh, going back and forth with all kinds of just, false teaching, teaching that we've made according to our own preferences or opinions or the opinion of somebody else, right? We're going to be able to know what the truth is and stand it. We're going to be brought into the maturity of, of Christ and to the fullness of the head of the body, which is Jesus himself. And then every ligament, it says, is going to work together. There's going to be like this support and interdependence that's built upon love, that's built on love. And oftentimes when I've heard people talk that passage out, we get to what what they do in the outcomes but not the who like we don't start with the who um and it, it kind of was i've been really working it through and talking with our our leadership team about this and just trying to i don't have all the answers and i know you don't either on this but as i was working through it i'm like man it's interesting how much who is described and then what like there's detail about what's going on here and so i wanted to get your your thoughts and i wanted to ask you to walk us through what these five <laughs> yes. uh, fivefold gifts are. And, and, and really, and I, again, I, I like the, the callings because I do believe that there are more callings. The more I look at it and I compare it to other spiritual gifts and, and the way that those are. So speak, speak. Jeff. Yeah, I think they speak of function more yeah. than vocation. Yeah. And, um, and they, um, hmm. they are a... Uh, um, Actually, interestingly enough, all five words are used in mark in the marketplace that Paul pulled into um, the church language. 
And so they were, they were word, they were words that were common to commerce in the marketplace that, that the, so the people understood these words because they had sort of secular definitions, which is interesting to me. Um, really good. The, uh, they differ from spiritual gifts. Um, spiritual gifts are something that weren't present in, in the life of a believer um, until the Holy Spirit came and, and, and um, animated that part of that person's life. So a spiritual gift of, of teaching might have not been this person had ever been a good teacher, but, but they committed their weakness to God and that the Holy Spirit brought, brought life to that. The, these gifts are more like Paul was apostolic before he became a Christian. No, he, no, nobody had to wake him up and say, you know, go, you're a terrorist, go, go terrorize. He, he, he naturally was a terrorist. <laughs> and, um, and he woke up in the morning and like, who can I persecute in order to have this, uh, this belief system true? And, uh, and it's interesting that he was the one that Christ chose to be you know, the one who would take the gospel to the Gentiles and, and experience, you know, the pain that he would have to go through. Um, he had the personality. So I think, I think in many ways, these, these functions are more personality based than they are um, um, like spiritual gift based. We need both of them, but they're actually for two different ideas. Um, and so, so you look at those five apostolic is, is, is the sentness of the church. So it is that, that leader is the person thinking, how do I bring the gospel to places? It's not. How, how do I give people access to the good news of Jesus Christ that don't have access? They cannot not see that. It, it, they wake up every morning and, and that's what they see. The prophet is, is sort of the spiritual integrity of the whole thing. Um, they're, they're, they're asking the question, is what we're doing in line with, with God's word? And is what we're doing in line with what God has asked us to do as his people? And, um, and they're kind of the voice kind of calling people to the plumb line over and over and over again. Evangelists, they just recruit to the thing. Hey, go on, guys. This will be fun. You'll love this. And uh, the shepherds, we understand what shepherds do. And teachers, we understand what teachers do. Because those are the ones we, we are very familiar with. Um, normally, this is how it breaks down, in my view. Um, oftentimes, church planters are apostolic. And, um, and so they're, they're thinking mission, 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 mission. And they gather, they, they see people come to Christ. They gather people that are from other churches. They, they build this church and, um, and they're pointing mission, 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 mission. I'm just speaking, um, um, personally, cause I'm describing myself here <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, and the sheep start going me, me, me. And, <laughs> and, and and the only answer I really got for them is limp faster. You know, we got to go over there. We've got we've got a mission. I don't want to hear your belly aching. Let's go. And um, and so normally guys who are are apostolic um, often leave and say, "Oh, I'm done with you guys. I'm going to go start over here." And uh, and so if there was a prophet, there there's now no longer a compelling voice anymore, a compelling vision. And so if there was one, he has no voice or place. And so that leads evangelists to lead the church. And um, and evangelists don't have a prophet to keep them honest. So how many of you want to go to heaven? Put up your hands. All right, we have fourteen today. You know, and um, 
And then the shepherd teachers are left to disciple a largely unregenerate congregation. And, um, and you can see this thing over and over and over as you look across North America. So I, I approach it a different way. If, you, if, if we did a, um, a spider graph where you put the points out five different levels in five different directions from a center point, and you put numbers on each spoke one to 10, A, P, E, S, T, one to 10, um, and you went to the average church in Lehigh Valley, and say, how apostolic is it? How concerned is it with the gospel self-sacrificing so that the gospel can, can, can move into other places? Probably most cities would say barely on the scale at all, hardly there. And then if you said, how prophetic is it in terms of not, you know, um, like when Jesus said, you've heard it say, but I say unto you, he kept the word of the prophet is keep bringing people back to the heart of God's message. And um, we've developed a very cultural evangelicalism that we're all pretty comfortable with, but it is, it is a long way off in many, most cases, I think to the heart of what Christ wants his church for. So how often does a, a prophet's voice welcomed as a corrective in the, in the average evangelical church in your direct, in your area? It's like most areas, it's not very welcome. It's pretty small. If you go evangelist, um, how evangelistically effective is the average evangelical church in your, in your area? I don't mean preaching evangelistic sermons to Christians. I mean daily seeing um, life-to-death tra- transitions happening, people coming to Christ on a, on a regular basis because of the witness of, of the church. You know, it's a rare thing. I mean, we're just watching this, the trends go down, 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 down right across North America on the evangelism rates and the church planting evangelism rates. Um, and then you go shepherding. If you're going from one to 10, how high is the shepherding IQ? Well, that's better because we, we talk about that. We value that. And so that's, you know, higher, six, seven. And, um, and then if you go, ap- if you go um, teaching, how, high, how important is teaching? Well, again, we value that. That's the only thing we teach you at seminaries, how to be a preacher. And, uh, you know, and so, so, um, so we give you, we'll give you that. So if you, if you look at that spider graph, you see it's, there's a little wedge on the one side, you know, and everything else is hardly not even existing. Um, new, flush that, new picture, Jesus. <laughs> How apostolic was Jesus? As the Father sent me, so send I you. I mean, he was all about that. He was. How prophetic? Well, we described that already. Totally prophetic. Was he an evangelist? Yeah, exactly. Was he a shepherd? Was he a teacher? So Jesus perfectly filled out those functions in himself. No sin, no taint, no, he in his perfection filled out apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, the person of Christ. If the person of Christ is that, should not the body of Christ be? And, um, and we have not been at all. We've been a shepherd teacher group. And, um, and those are the, 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 the functions we honor. And, um, and so I, I, I can't see how we get to movement without, without the full 
the full picture of Jesus as his body. And, um, and so, so for, for instance, I, I moved back to Canada a year ago and um, my mom was fell, broke her hip. She has Parkinson's and we had to put her in a, in a nursing home. And now she's anyway. And so we just knew, knew God was calling us back to look after her. I only have one other sibling and they're missionaries in Spain. And we just knew it was our turn. So um came back to our church to, to, uh, and the church that I had started last um, I had not pastored it for 11 years. It's had two pastors since me. Um, the second pastor had been there six years, I think seven years and was getting ready to resign. And, um, and, and I went to the elders and said, tell you what, I'll come back and lead this church again. Here are my conditions. Condition number one is um, we're going to do an apest co-vocational idea. In other words, this church will be led by an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. And, um, and condition number two is I'm going to probably have to find those guys, those leaders, in many cases, someplace else, because they're not here. They're not left here anymore. And, um, and so they took that to the, I took that to the elders, the elders talked about it, took it to the church and they voted almost unanimously to do that. And so now um, we are a church that meets in a university. Um, we have a, a leadership structure that is that. And the, the picture, the picture I have is King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table. And, um, and we all interdependently say, the picture that we naturally have of how things are is not the right picture. Um, together, it is the right picture. And so we value each other's point of perspective and point of view in that, in that idea. And we think that together, we really have Jesus' perspective on this. And, um, and so we're, we're looking at that. And then we, we bring our whole congregation through, how do, you, how do you fit into that sort of continuum? Because our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that we will look like this mature picture of Jesus Christ. And um, so COVID came and um, we uh, have, have no rent to pay and we have no pastors to pay. And, uh, and we have money coming in on automated, you know, teller kind of, I mean, automatic deposits. And, um, and we said, what are we going to spend all this money on? I mean, it's the opposite <laughs> it's the opposite, you know, thing that I think a lot of churches struggle with. And we just said, okay, we're going to ask two questions. Um, are, we're going to ask, how are you doing? And we're going to ask to our people, and we're going to support our people, the household of faith first. So we make sure that everyone's needs are being met. And then we're asking how, how are, we ask them, how are your neighbors doing? And, um, and we send them as missionaries to their neighborhood, finding out how your neighbors are doing. And we are financially, um, through grocery gift cards, um, giving, giving, blessing our, our, our community. And I don't know, you know, how that's going to shape us as a result, but I think it's going to have a profound impact. And so that's, really, that's a picture of how that works. Yeah. I was going to ask you, so how's, I mean, you're about a year, how long has this been going on? The, uh, Fivefold. Started in September, so pretty pretty new before the wheels came off of things yeah, here. Yeah, yeah but how, how's it going? 
with it. I mean, and it, it sounds like it's going really well from what you're describing. It, it seems to be. Yeah. And, um, what, what, any challenges that like come from it, like that you would just encourage us as we look yeah, at great, great question as you're thinking through it for yourself. Um, so you're, yeah, I mean, what would be the biggest challenges? I mean, to me, the challenges are also awesome opportunities. So I, as the apostle in the group, <laughs> speak about half the time. And the other half, um, I, I'm, the other people are, 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 are leading on kind of the Sunday ideas. So our people are getting a big picture. I think it's important, and this is just my bias, but I think it might be a New Testament bias, um, that that team is led by an apostle. Because if it doesn't have an apostolic outward impulse, if it's led by a shepherd, there's nothing wrong with shepherds. Shepherds are needed. But if it's led by a shepherd, it's going to eventually become internal in terms of, you know, how are, how are we doing? How are we doing? And, uh, and so I think that the homeostasis is, is always going to degenerate. A church is going to um, find its comfort zone and stay there. Is, you know, that's the nature of flesh. That's the nature of sin. And, um, and so um, the agitation of an apostolic voice pushing outwards, I think, is, is needed to keep that from happening. And, um, and so, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, I was going to ask you, too, like with that, like as you sought to bring your people through that, because I, I think we would both agree that those fivefold aren't limited <clears throat> to those who are just on the leadership level. Uh, you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but the way I read it is I say, Hey, you know what? I believe that within our church, there are others who have. Yeah, so you, so you, you assemble teams. And so, so the evangelist person is now looking at the evangelist. So we actually have two evangelists leaders mm -hmm. in ours. Mm -hmm. We have, um, one for internally equipping. And so get, making sure we're equipping our people and holding them accountable for evangelism. The other is for external engagement. So as a church, how are we engaging our community? And so we kind of hit that both ways. But we develop teams under each of those functions so that our people can use their primary aspiration in a way they can swing hard. And what, what's done normally is we, we've, we've always, as Baptists, valued evangelism. We've always value shepherd and teaching but not the others and um and so um th there's lots of people in your church right now who are most people's churches who are apostolic are prophetic and um and we see them as troublemakers mm. instead of the people that god might have brought to us to get the gospel out, out of the comfortable box we've we've really contained it in and um so it might be something to consider no that's really good I, so do you walk them through any kind of uh assessment of, mm -hmm. yeah uh, how would you like i i'm i'm more for my own sake and i'm sure of those who are listening too and i would say to you if you're listening and you're not necessarily a follower of jesus um and you're following along with this I think the, the thing I want you to hear from this is the importance of team and valuing what others bring to make a complete picture. And while this is specifically directed at the church, I think the principle that I take away from it, even as I read it, is the beauty of what Paul was describing is that when we practice interdependence, we really are living out what Jesus prayed for in John 17, 
because you're talking about very different uh, frame of references, personality types, you know, all five of those, but, you know, are very different from the other, but they, they're meant to celebrate the differences, not put those differences down and be like, Oh no, no, no. Like you gotta be me or I gotta be you, or this is better or this is worse. Or uh, that's, that's what we tend to do. I mean, churches that are high teaching churches devalue the other functions, you know, churches that are high shepherding churches devalue the other functions. And, uh, and so I think like if you're short on evangelists in your church, the kind of personalities you look for are, you know, the, the people that, um, uh, if they're excited about something, everybody's got to be excited about it. You know, whatever hobby they're into or whatever, like they're always talking about, go win those people to Christ and you find you found evangelists, you know, it's like, um, yeah. Well, that's, that's a, so what is the assessment tool that you use? I just use a free one. So um, fivefoldsurvey.com, sur- five it's a Mike Breen one and um, takes about 10 minutes to do maybe. And um, it's free. Yeah, fivefoldsurvey.com. Yep. This is so good, Jeff. And I also wanted to ask you, um, as you've been working through that, I know one of the things you do on a regular basis every Monday is Missio Mondays. Can you tell us a little yes. bit about that? I, I was, uh, I've been just so encouraged by another voice who's, you know, you've been very loving, but I would call it lovingly direct, which I think <laughs> right now, because that's the only way I think sometimes those messages are going to come through. And really that apostolic gifting comes through that. So can you just let people know about that and where they can find that? Yeah, so I write for Christianity Today um, every Monday, and it is. It's called Missio Monday. So you just Google, Google Missio, M-I-S-S-I-O, New Word Mondays. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a practical, um, I think, help for churches to engage the reality of today's changing uh, mission field. And, um, um, and so, yeah, I, I probably I, I, I get in trouble regularly. <laughs> I, I got lots of people who love me and lots who don't. And uh, <laughs> I can imagine so. I would yeah. I, I would not want to be uh, the one receiving your emails at this moment uh, when you're writing some of those things. But I mean, hey, that's the call, right? I mean, I, th- I think that you know, even as you read through Second Corinthians, which I've been reading a lot uh, for uh, some of the things we're walking through. I don't know. I just reminded that no matter what you do, you're going to have your. Well, it's like, I mean, when Christianity becomes cultural um, instead of, you know, real, it, it you upset a lot of apple carts. And, um, and so I'm just trying to bring people back to scriptural ideas. And um, you're doing it, man. It's yeah. so, it is so important. And we are, we are so grateful, Jeff, for you. And just thank you for making the time to be with us today. Uh, what a blessing. It was even just for my my own benefit, and I, I know it's going to benefit others. I wanted to ask you one last question. Yeah, how can people connect with you? What's the best way to do that? Um, well, I have no idea. I've got so many different <laughs> jobs. <laughs> um, my my email is just Jeff at jchristofferson.org. So that's my email if you want to write me something. Um, but uh, I work with Send Institute. I work with Church Planning Canada. I work with Canadian National Baptist Convention, and um, and I work with the Sanctuary. So I've, 
And then I work with Christianity. I got five jobs. So like, I know. I was like trying to figure out how to quest, ask you that because all those areas. I was like, all right, let me make sure I got all these things done. Uh, but I also I wanted to say too, he's really a good follow on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, uh, your your social media, you're on Facebook, right? As well. Yep. And it's just Jeff Christofferson. Is that correct? Uh, Twitter is Christofferson three. Christofferson three. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so I, they only let you have so many Christopherson's 14 letters in itself. So I couldn't get a Jeff in there too. <laughs> well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, but also thanks for being such an encourager to me over the years. You have, um, you've reminded me over the last decade and that's how long I've known you, which is kind of crazy is, uh, you know, just to be who God's called me to be and to, to step into who he's called me to be and know what he's called me to and well, well joseph just back at you it's um watching you and amy um start and and start by giving yourself away in church planting and it's sort of demonstrating a kingdom impulse from the very beginning wasn't a huge encouragement to me and uh and i think a lot of people have followed your your example mm-hmm. and uh, so thanks for thanks for living it oh well man it's uh it's a joy to be in it together because I think as we were looking at these fivefold and even reading through the New Testament and talking about a variety of things, one of the things I am more convinced than ever, you can only go as far as you're willing to be interconnected to one another in Christ and letting him lead the way, right? And, and I think that that has come out in this conversation as well. So thanks again, Amen. Jeff, for being on this. And hey, if you want to learn more about Jeff, again, he's told you several platforms to find him at, but also be sure to check out his book, uh, books, plural. Uh, but this latest book, I think, is a really important read, especially. It's a quickie, five, too. It's two a, hours. It's, it's, yeah. an, it's a story. It's a narrative. So yeah, It's yeah. a story and a narrative. And in light of COVID-19, as we think about our future, I think what an opportunity for us to hit the pause button for a moment and to reflect of all that God's going to do. Thanks again, Jeff, for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the Vision for the Valley podcast. We'd love to connect with you and to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Vision for the Valley podcast, or you can email us at Vision for the Valley podcast at gmail.com. 